be with you today, and it's good to us for us to be together, and appreciate everyone being here. Appreciate all those who are visiting. Thank you for coming our way, and you are an encouragement to us, and we pray that we can be encouragement to you as well. And we invite you to come back this evening, and midweek service as well, where we meet regularly on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Without grace, without grace, life would be multiple times worse than what it already is. Think about that. Without grace, life would be multiple times worse than what it already is. Without divine grace... Without divine grace, there would be no forgiveness. There would be no salvation. And there would be no hope of heaven. True grace comes from above. Divine grace originates with God. It originates in the very character of God. That's where grace Originates. That's the very source of grace. And as emphasized in our class today, if there is no God, there is no grace. But there is grace. There is grace because there is God, and there is grace in the world because God exists and God has intervened and God is involved in the affairs of mankind. This grace of God which offers salvation to all men, Titus 2. This grace of God that has appeared bringing salvation to all men could be described as an overflowing cup. An overflowing cup that is overflowing with a multitude of spiritual and heavenly blessings. And it is a cup that does not run out. It is an overflowing cup of God that does not run out. And what a wonderful thought that is. And what a comfort and strength that is to us. In simple terms, as many of you already know, our Creator's grace could be described as an unearned and unmerited and undeserved gift. That's a good definition. It's an unearned, undeserved gift that is filled with a multitude of gifts. Gifts from him that's going to benefit us and our well-being in this life now as well as forevermore. Grace. In Hebrews chapter 13, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, the inspired word of our God, of the Holy Spirit, says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. That alone is a comforting strength to us. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forevermore. And then he goes on to encourage us by saying, or exhort us, or admonish us, however you want to say that. And he goes on to say, do not be carried away 
by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods. Not by foods which those who are so occupied were not benefited. That's an interesting thought to conclude on. You think about in that verse. Not by things that occupy us that do not benefit us. Are there things in your life? Are there things in my life? Are there things in our lives that occupy us that do not benefit us? Just a thought. That's really not the point of my lesson this morning. My point of the lesson is the fact that we are being admonished here to be strengthened, be strengthened by grace. Be strengthened by grace. If you will, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn to your New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read here in this chapter, verses 7 through verse 10. 7 through verse 10, where the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, has these words to share with us and to exhort us with. When he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness. So most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content I'm well content with my weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you think about this account that Paul shares with us, very briefly here, when we Think about the point that I'm going to make today, and that is grace does not remove, grace does not remove all the unpleasant, all the painful circumstances in this life. Grace does not take away all the unpleasantries of life. It does not take away all the difficulties of life. It does not take away all of the painful things of life. Grace does not do that. And think about Paul here. 
And when he says, you know, I implored, I implored. And perhaps, you know, when our study in Psalms, and we look at the ancient men of faith that they share there, when they implored God through the Psalms, the fervency, the earnestness, the intensity of that, what that may have been. He said, I implored God three times. So here's Paul dealing with something with his body. He's dealing with something in his flesh. And what he's doing, he's asking God. He is fervently and earnestly petitioning the God of heaven, the God who can do something about this. And he basically says, I want you to remove this. Whatever it is, I want you to remove this. I want you to take it away. I want you to heal me of this. And in simple terms, what was God's answer? No. God's answer was no. Now, he didn't use those words. But he, has, he, he, was, he said no to what he asked for. Paul was cresting take it away, and God says, no, I'm not going to take it away. And he responds with his idea, my grace is sufficient. Whatever you are dealing with right now, he says to Paul, whatever it is, don't get, don't get so you know, honing in on what the thorn in the flesh is because we don't know what it is. But we know thorns hurt. We want that thorn gone as soon as it can be taken out. And God says, I'm not taking your thorn out. You're going to go to your grave with that thorn. He says, but my grace, my grace is sufficient to help you deal with that. God heard Paul. Have you thought about this? God heard Paul. You know, sometimes we think, well, God's not hearing me. No, God heard Paul. God listened to Paul. And the fact that God said no in regard to, you know, the, not, I'm not taking this away. I'm not going to remove this from you. you know, because that, the fact he said no to that does not mean that God had forsaken him. God had not forsaken Paul. God had not forsaken Paul. God was not rejecting Paul. God was not abandoning Paul. That's not what was going on here. And of course, in this text, Paul is sharing with us by the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit the lesson he learned here. You see, God had something better. God had something better for Paul than taking away that thorn. He had something that was going to benefit Paul for the long run. He, and what it was, he says, I have grace. Grace is going to help you handle this situation. Grace. My grace is sufficient to deal with that thorn. Now that's a thought to consider. God's grace was sufficient to deal with the thorn in his body. And so he's challenging here this idea of grace is at work, Paul. You've got, you've got to believe that. 
And you've got to accept that. You've got to accept my grace. And you've got to rely on the grace that is available to you for this particular unique situation that Paul found himself in. In the context of Paul's, in, in the context of Paul's uh, life, you think about it, you know, the whole life of Paul, in that context, you know, God's grace already was molding Paul. It was, it was transforming Paul. It was establishing this man of God. That's what, that was already ongoing in Paul's life. And that was in progress. It was a work in progress so that ultimately, you know, what would be seen in Paul was Paul, the apostle, would be made complete in Christ. There are some things that will not be taken away from us because that circumstance is necessary to help me to be complete in Christ so that the fullness of Christ can dwell in me completely. And so for Paul in this particular incident in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the thorn was that situation for Paul. Now, Paul had already been extended to grace. He had tasted of the goodness of grace when he was that man, Saul, remember? The sinner, Saul, who turns to the Lord, obeys the gospel, has his sins washed away in the, you know, through baptism, and he's raised and walked walk in his life. So, yes, Paul understood an aspect of grace, When his sins were forgiven, that was grace at work through Jesus Christ and the Father and the Spirit. And so he understood that. And so Paul reflects on that at different times. Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, when you think about he is retelling his conversion. He talks about how Ananias came and told him what he needed to do to be saved. And he did it. Or over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he's writing the evangelist and reflects on his past, a past that was, you know, overflowing with sin. I mean, he was not a good man. He, he was in the depths of sin and darkness, but yet he come to understand who Christ is. He became converted, and now he understood the greatness and the magnitude of grace at work in that way. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the grace that God is talking about is not the washing away of Paul's sins, is it? That's not the context. Grace involves forgiveness, yes. Without grace, there is no forgiveness. But see, grace, grace does not always come in the way. Grace does not always come in the form, in the shape, in the color that we initially want it to be, does it? It's not always in the way that we want it. Paul wanted the thorn taken away. That's what Paul wanted, intensely wanted that thorn removed. But God says, my grace, that's what I'm giving you. 
It wasn't in the exact way that Paul wanted, but it was in the exact way that Paul needed. See, God knows what we need. And we don't always know that in the moment. Think about this idea of this grace that is being that Paul is being reminded of a gift, a gift that would make him stronger, a gift that would make him more Christ-like. You know, you think about that; it, it, it's going to make him a better person. So let's kind of look look in the mirror. Let's look at ourselves for a moment. Do sad things happen to us that we don't want? Do sad things happen to us that we don't want? Do do we suffer in ways that we don't want to suffer? Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Do, Do we suffer in ways that we do not want? It is not what we want to experience. It is not what we want to bear. Of course, that's true for all of us. Whether it's disappointments, or it may be unplanned hardships. It's one thing when you know something's going to be hard, but it's part of your plans. You know, this plan is going to have some hardships. But what about all those unplanned hardships? What about those unexpected mishaps? The misfortunate things that transpire in life. Those things happen. Now, we have to really plan for the unexpected, don't we? And that's hard to plan for. Or whether it's the idea of sad losses. And there's all kinds of losses that happen. Loss of job. Loss of investment. You know, loss of loved ones. On and on it goes. Is this, are these the kind of things we all experience in the journey of life? Yes. Now, they don't all hit at once. We may feel that way sometimes. But generally, as we walk our lives, these kind of things are going to occur. There's going to be things in our life that we do not want to experience, that we do not want to bear And God's grace is not going to take it away. But God's grace is there. It's there. It's there and it's sufficient to see us through it. Just like Paul, sometimes we too need to kind of renew our minds Renew our thinking so that we are focusing on the things or, fo- or focusing in the ways that amplify grace. That help us to see the grace that is at work in our life. And it's unique because each life is unique. Oh, there are similarities for all of us. But we don't all walk exactly in the same footsteps. And we don't all experience exactly the same hardships. We share a common bond, 
but it's, it's unique to each one of us because we're unique. But we need to, like Paul sometimes, to see grace in the way that God wants us to see grace. I always thought that this passage was a difficult text to swallow. A difficult one to digest and accept. Oh, I can, I can accept it here. I, I, can, I, can, you know, I can accept it intellectually. You know, I can tell you all about it. But what about here? When it really hits home. And, and David Bunting has to consider it all joy when David is encountering trials. And God says to David, my grace is sufficient. That's a lesson we all have to learn. That's why when you go back to, you think, the idea that is brought on Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. And that is, our hearts need strengthening. Boy, our hearts need strengthening. As we live life here on earth, you think about it, at best, you think at best, God describes our lives on earth as a vanishing vapor that is slipping through our fingers and, it's, and it's, it just doesn't last. It just doesn't last. The visible things about ourselves, the visible things that surround us, all of this is temporary. All of this that we think is so secure and so solid, it's not. None of it is. None of it is. And over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul reminds us there, he compares the outer versus the inner, but, he, but you think of this thought, our outer man is decaying. Just take a second. Your outer man, in your mind, say, take your name, David's outer man is decaying. Say that to yourself. That's the reality. That's the reality. In our youth, that reality is, seems so distant. As we age, that reality becomes more real. But the fact is, the, the reality, that's true no matter what your age is. We are decaying. Those are sobering words. Very sobering, and they are sobering words that need to be taken to heart. We need to take to heart that we are decaying. We are vanishing. We are but a vapor. We need to take that heart while not losing heart. That's the challenge. Take the sobering words of truth to heart but don't lose heart. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. 
What's going to help you not lose heart when you are dealing with things that, are hard, that challenge your heart to the point that you feel like you're losing heart? <laughs> you know, you know, what do you need? Well, the inspired of God says you need to see grace at work in your life. And it's not going to come necessarily in exactly the way you think it may come. In our text in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, there, there really is a contrast here. It's contrasted between what is beneficial for your life and what is not beneficial for your life. Well, and in the context, what is not beneficial, so there's two main points he brings out, and we're not going to really talk about those, those particulars, but just to kind of throw out the point, the two things that are brought out in the verse is, the one is the strange teachings of men. These strains are very teaching of men that supplant Christ, that infringe on the authority and preeminence of Jesus Christ. He says those things should be rejected. Those are not beneficial. But he goes on to say, but also foods. Now, the point is not saying you do need to eat food to take care of your, your physical body. But in the long run, no matter how well you eat your entire life, and you never eat any sugar, you know, and you never, you know, drink all the, you never eat any of those snack foods that are so comforting to you. You know, if that were true, even if you did, your body's decaying. Your, your, your life is a vapor that's vanishing. It's temporal. It's temporal. And so that's why in the context here, he says what, what you need is you need grace. You need the goodness of grace. Grace is what's good for your heart. Grace is what's good for the heart that needs to be strengthened. You know, God's gift of forgiveness, that, that, that is what br it brings us peace. It brings us joy and brings us hope. But that's not all that God's grace does. God's grace doesn't only forgive us. It does so much more than just that. Here in this context, it's not limited to the gift of forgiveness. And that's the lesson that Paul is learning back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Grace is able to continually strengthen the hearts of those who have been forgiven. Grace is able to continually strengthen the hearts of those who have been forgiven. And so like Paul, when we find ourselves in circumstances, situations that are challenging, and perhaps we are beginning to feel like that we're losing heart, we have to be receptive. We have to be able to see the grace that is there. And the grace that's already there and it's already sufficient because that grace is coming from the one who's the giver of all good things. He has not moved. He has not changed. He is as real as ever he will be. As you read earlier this morning in Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, Paul is talking about those who've been justified you know, before God by faith through God's grace. And he talks about these justified, faithful ones, how they stand in God's grace. The grace 
in which we stand. Stand is an active verb. It's something that you do. It's an ongoing activity. When you're standing, that takes effort. That takes energy. That takes purpose. And Paul says, you know, yes, we have been justified by faith through God's grace in which we stand. We are standing in God's grace. This idea of an ongoing activity within the fellowship of grace. And so we must persevere in that grace. We must persevere to attain its ultimate, its complete, its culmination. The culmination is when we're in the presence of God in heaven. That's the final aspect of grace. But in the meantime, what we have to do, we have to stand in grace. When? Not just on the good days. It's easy to stand in God's grace on the good days. It's hard to stand in in God's grace on the bad days. When you've lost a job and you don't know how you're going to take care of your wife, that's a test. When you've lost one you've loved all your life practically and you have to say goodbye, that's a test of faith. There's all kinds of circumstances we find ourselves in where we are being tested and tried by life itself, but we must remember that grace is sufficient in all of those moments. We've just got to see it. We've got to look for it. We've got to find that grace. The Apostle John wrote this in his his second epistle, verse 3. He says, Grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father, and truth and love. But notice, grace will be with us. It will be with us. He doesn't say, John's not saying, well, grace might be with you in the future. No, he says, grace, as well as mercy and peace, but grace will be with us. And why is that? It's because of God. Grace is ever present. Why? Why is grace ever present? Grace is ever present because God is ever present. That's why. Grace is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask and think. Why is that? Because that's who God is. That's what God does. God does that. So therefore, grace likewise can exceed far above what we ask or we think. Very quickly, I want us to scan as we kind of are bringing our, 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 just our thought for the day to try to be uplifting and encouraging and, and, and equip you for life. I want us to scan through a bit of Hebrews, which is the book from which our text is taken. And that is, what we need to understand is... Um, Meditation on the unchangeableness of of Christ. You know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus is not going to change. Jesus is who he is and who he will always be. And so we we need to think about this aspect of the unchangeableness of Jesus Christ and how, in fact, that unchangeableness, when you think about that, that will strengthen you with grace. For those moments, 
for those days. Maybe sometimes for those years, the difficult years. When we think about Jesus Christ, we're reminded in, in the New Testament that when we are abiding in Christ, when we are walking in Christ, when we're living in Christ, we are reminded that the inner man is being renewed daily. Every day, those who are walking in Jesus Christ are renewed every day. Daily, we are being renewed. Now, that may take some effort that will, not may, that will take some effort on our part because, just as talked about in Romans 12, the idea how we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed. We need a change. More to understand, in that change, you think about the, the role of your inner person, your heart and your thoughts and your will, all of those things that make, you, make up who you are inwardly, not just the outward person of you, but the inward person of you. And it talks about how you know, you're going to transform yourself to be acceptable to God. How? He says, by renewing your mind. By renewing your mind. Paul similarly says the same thing over in Ephesians 4 when he talks about how renewing the, the spirit of your mind. By renewing your mind, included in that is your heart. By renewing that, it will produce in us the fruit of righteousness and holiness. So we've got to focus on the one who's not going to change as Carrie brought out in, in, the, in the lesson today in Bible class, we live in a world that's changing and we don't like the changes because they are, they are bad changes. They're bad. And it's disheartening, it's discouraging. And yes, there's trepidation in all of that, rightfully so. But we must not lose heart. Take it to heart. Don't lose heart, but rather strengthen your heart by grace or with grace. So let's look at some things about Jesus Christ as we just kind of scan through some closing thoughts here. The first is found, if you think, in Hebrews chapter 2 when it basically reminds you that it is by the grace of God that Jesus tasted, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Jesus tasted death for everyone. We appreciate, we appreciate when there is someone who has gone, if you're going through a difficulty and, and you come to know that someone has gone through that very same kind of difficulty, hardship, loss, pain, and they come to you, you know, you know, in a very understanding way and, and they can share with you the idea, I have experienced that. I've experienced the same suffering. And they, and they tell you their story. You know, that's, that's comforting. That's, that's, that's strengthening to us. I'm not alone. I want to say this to you. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just experience life. Jesus came to experience life. He came to experience suffering. He came to experience death for you. 
It's one thing we can share with each other. We're, we're on an equal plane, and we have similar experiences, and we share, and we, and we encourage, and we build each other up. But Jesus is not on this plane. He came down and experienced this. He tasted suffering. He tasted all of this, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, by God's grace. Jesus tasted it all for you and me. So when you're having that bad day, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus and be strengthened by grace. Another verse in the same chapter talks about how Jesus gives help to the seed of Abraham. Galatians 3.29 tells us who the seed of Abraham are. He says, if you belong to Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. And if you are the seed of Abraham, you're heirs of the promise of Abraham. And that all has to do with the promises that center and revolve around Jesus Christ, who came to be the ransom, the savior of the world. But the point simply is, is Jesus gives help. He gives help. That's grace. Will the help always be in exactly the way you think it's going to be? Probably not. But Jesus gives help. He, he, he did just gave, it's not past tense here. He did, Jesus gave you help. He did. He gave help when he died. Once for all. Done. He doesn't have to die again. Because that sacrifice is the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all the world throughout time. The true lamb that was perfectly without any blemish of sin does not have to die again to save you and me who believe. But he says Jesus gives help. He gives help. The one who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow gives help. Jesus described a number of times, and this is a pretty strong theme in the book of Hebrews, the idea of how he is a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. Our high priest, Jesus, is, is so much better than the Old Testament system. It is, he's, he's a perfect high priest, satisfying and fulfilling all that we need. And you think about, for example, there in verse 17 and verse 18, where he talks about how Jesus is able to come to the aid He's able to come to your aid of those who are tempted. He is your advocate. He is at your side. He's there, ready to jump into action. That's grace. In chapter 4, verse 16, very similarly, talks about the idea how we receive mercy. And he's talking about Christ being the high priest, one who is tempted but without sin. He says, we find mercy and we find grace. We receive mercy, we find grace to help in time of need. We find grace. Grace is always there. The ever presence of God is always there. Able to do far above we're able to ask or think. But sometimes we're not looking in the right places. Sometimes we're not looking in the right way. 
it's there for the receiving and it's there for the finding. Chapter 5, he says, to all those who obey him, speaking of Christ, he says, to all those who obey him, the source of eternal salvation. Think about that. You have the promise of eternal salvation. Eternal. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel just because it got hard. Don't stop trusting in God just because you're, you know, it's difficult. You don't stop relying on the power of God's word to save your soul and cleanse you because it's a challenge to walk and abide in light. Don't stop. He says, you have eternal salvation. Keep obeying Jesus. Persevere in that obedience. Another aspect of Jesus, think of the idea how he holds his priesthood permanently. He holds his priesthood permanently. Unlike the Old Testament priests who died and and are no more, he says he holds it permanently. He goes on to say in verse 25, who lives forevermore. So Jesus is priest permanently, living forevermore to make intercession for the saved who draw near to him. To God. Jesus ever lives, ever lives to intercede for you who are saved when you draw near. Two questions Are you saved? Are you drawing near? You have to answer that based upon scripture, based upon truth. But he is living so that you may be able to draw near and receive the help you need. He's the mediator of a better covenant with better promises. Who wants to go back and live under the Old Testament system? Who wants the, the temporal, you know, physical you know, blessing and promises of, uh, that was given to the nation of Israel? I don't want that. And I'm kind of, you don't want that. The promises that you have are so much better They're better promises because it's a better covenant. And Jesus is the mediator of that. He has brought that to us. It is so much better. We need to think on these things. But then finally, also, in chapter 10, where it talks about the idea here of how Jesus has inaugurated a new and living way. So basically, he has basically paved a path. He has opened a door. He has opened a gate. He has, he has paved a path that you and I have entrance into God's holy place. It's a narrow path, as Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a constricting path that the majority of the world do not walk, do not choose to go on. But this path, this way of Christ is your entrance. It is your entrance into the very presence of God, your Father. That's grace. And so we should not be surprised at the end of this book that has focused so much on what Jesus has done and what Jesus 
you know, has accomplished, that it, you, that it ends with a closing admonition and a closing exhortation when he says, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And that's what we need to do. We need to strengthen our hearts. We need to strengthen our hearts for life's challenges and life's hardships and life's trials and disappointments and life's hurts. We need to strengthen our hearts with the abundant goodness and the abundant mercy and the abundant grace that is available to us. It's there for the taking. You need it. I need it. We all need to be strengthened in our hearts by grace. By grace every day. We need it to be able to keep the faith. You can't keep that faith without your heart being strengthened by God's grace. You can't do it by yourself. You needed to finish the race that is set before you. You can't finish that race by yourself. You need God's grace to strengthen your heart. To consider the fact that, yes, grace does not always come in the exact way I ask, but God's grace is ever-present for me to find, to grasp, and to utilize as a faithful child of God. It is that same grace that offers us all forgiveness. And that forgiveness is through Jesus. Jesus who died on a cross for you. Jesus came to live, to be tempted, to suffer, and to die. He did that all for you. And because he did that, there's forgiveness in him for all of those who come to him, who turn to him in faith, who believe not only that God is, but also believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died on Calvary's cross for our sins and the sins of the world, and that He was raised on the third day, victoriously overcoming death. And with that kind of victorious, conquering faith, we submit willingly and humbly to his will, to his teaching, to his commandments. And so, yes, we are tired of the sin that enslaves us. We're tired of having to carry the guilt and the burden of our transgressions. And so we turn to Jesus Christ, believing in him, confessing faith in him, and repenting our sins and then being baptized into Christ. Buried with Jesus in baptism so that we may raise, be raised to walk in newness of life. That's grace. But that's not where grace ends. Grace is extended to you for the rest of your days into eternity. Whatever your spiritual need may be this morning, we invite you, encourage you, please come now while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.